morning to each of you, and greetings in the blessed name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who bought us so we could be his family. He could bless us, not only here in time, but gather us together for that great brotherhood and you could say sisterhood as his family and also for eternity. I I love the book of Ephesians. It's, I guess probably I could say my favorite, probably my favorite books of the New Testament, or at least the one that I seem to wear out my that part of the Bible the quickest. Seems like my Bibles, as they get older, Ephesians has the most wear to it. And I was thinking about it in relation to church life, um, and the. How would I say? The exploration of what God has for us in brotherhood and in church life. I think we seek it. We desire it. We're still working on it. And there's a lot left to learn. And I just appreciate so much. God did not give us, as I've said, you probably heard me say this already. I know I've said it to some of my fellow ministry friends. Wouldn't it be nice if God would have given us, in relation to church administration and brotherhood, if given us a manual saying, you know, one, two, three, four, five, this is how you do it. But God didn't do that. He said there's going to be diversity. But you know what he gave us? He gave us the Holy Spirit. And that's what brings us together. And that's what where we find our direction. And so this morning, let's continue to be sure that we are not quenching the voice of the Spirit in any way, not only in personal life, but also in congregational life. The, um, this coming week, as you know, we plan to be at Cornerstone Bible School for revivals there, and begins on Wednesday through Sunday. And I do a lot of thinking and praying about that, those assignments, and at this point, I'm planning to use, at least for some of the nights there at the Bible school, um, someone as a theme or a series on questions that God has asked man. And I've been thinking about this in different ways. There's not a lot of questions that God himself, if you leave out Christ on earth in the Gospels, that God himself has actually directly asked man but the questions that God has asked man are very significant, I think. And this morning I'm going to um, share with you one of these questions from probably my favorite book of the Old Testament. You can turn with me to the book of Job. The book of Job, um, I guess, I don't know, the older I get, the more I just enjoy the book of Job in what it reveals to us about God, what it reveals to us about man, and um, especially the last part of the book of Job. There's so much depth here. And this morning I would like to look at one of the questions here that God asked. He asked it of Job. Turn to Job 38 and verse 2. Job 38, 2. Who is this 
that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Now, I'd like to look first at the context of this. This question that God gives to Job, I'm supposing his friends who were sitting there probably heard this discussion, I would expect. They don't say anything after this point in in the book that's recorded for us. Job, as we know, suffered the loss of all his children, all his possessions, all in one day. And then he's lost his health. He was grievously tormented with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Tremendous suffering. He sat by the fire there and he took a broken piece of pottery and scraped himself. Sort of, you can imagine the kind of suffering that that would have been. It's not the same, I don't believe, I know, but um, my mother-in-law, when she had her um, sickness, the cancer, affected her skin, the itch that she suffered was torment. And you could not finally do it because the skin was already raw and bleeding over her whole body. I, I, I always admired her patience in suffering. She tried to always have a positive outlook. I get, and you get, you know, some itchy spells sometimes, but to, to think of that day in, day out, 24 hours a day, covering your entire body. I just thought of that in relation to Job, the boils. I don't know if I've ever had a boil or not, maybe something like it, but, you know, one is bad enough, but to have your whole body covered with that. So Job's, Job was suffering. His supposed friends came to be with him in his suffering, which I guess we could say they meant good. Their opinion, as you go through the first part of the book of Job, we're not going to read a lot of these scriptures, we're just going to you understand the set here. But their opinion mostly was that after the seven days of silence, they started talking and listening to Job, that they really were saying, Job, you know, you must have sinned somewhere in your life because God does not afflict innocent people like this. So you should just be honest about the condition of your heart and just repent so that God could bless you again. And that's sort of the, the premise or the, the, the summary of their arguments in relation to Job. And of course, Job was pushing back throughout the beginning of the book of Job and saying, I don't know of any sin in my life. I, I have not done anything wrong. I, I'm not aware of anything I, I, that I have offended the Almighty. And, and yet I'm suffering. And he did not have the answer for it. And they said, well, it, it must be somewhere. You must have done something wrong. God's not going to inflict innocent people like that. <clears throat> and as Job kept affirming that he was innocent and had done no wrong, he, in the midst of all those discussions and his, and his suffering and, and him trying to grapple with the meaning of this suffering and what had happened to him, 
you know, Job was also begging for an audience with God. The heavens were silent. And for, I would say, days and probably weeks on end, possibly, God said not a word. And Job said, you know, can't I somehow talk to you? Can't I somehow have an audience with you? Wouldn't there be a days, man, somebody, uh, uh, an intermediate person to somehow, we could connect and I I could ask you some questions. He wanted to ask God some of the tough questions about the meaning of human suffering in his own life. But the heavens were silent. Here is a summary of some of the some of Job's questions in his struggle to find meaning in his suffering and his grief. I just paraphrase these or summarize them. Where Job was was asking God, questioning God, he said, he said, "Do do you get pleasure from oppressing me as the Almighty?" Can you see as a mortal sees with flesh eyes of flesh? Can, can you see me that way? And in other words, can you understand what I'm really going through? And right with that, you know, are you taking notice of my sufferings? Are, are you paying attention to me and what I'm, what I'm asking? Do you know that I have not sinned? No, he, he says more, you know that I have not sinned, so why am I suffering? You're the one who made me, and will you now destroy me? At one point, Job was questioning, he said, why was I even born? Why did you give me life? Why did you kill me in the womb? Could we meet together somehow that you could answer me? Those were, were the sort of the summary of the questions that, that Job was grappling with in his situation. And now we get here to chapter 38, and God breaks his silence. And the first thing that God says after all the talking that had gone on, and you can say the philosophizing, about the meaning of suffering and the reason for suffering, God asked this question. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, what this means is, who are you to say what you've said? And who are you, who do you think you are, that are saying all these things without the knowledge to even understand them. You're actually darkening counsel. You're obscuring the truth by all these words without knowledge. Now, I don't think it was necessarily a scolding. I don't think it was sarcastic. But God was was asking this question to point right at something in, in Job's mindset and the way he was thinking. Now, it is interesting, and we're not going to take the time to read probably any of this, but if you want a really interesting reading, and it's something we ought to read pretty often, is after this question in verse 2, God has a series of questions, questions for Job. 
at least 77 of them, depending on how you count them. 77 questions that follow this question of who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Now, we could see a sampling of this. You go from the beginning of chapter 38, chapter 39. You go to chapter 40. And uh, there's a little interval in chapter 40, verses 3, down to verse 5, where Job says a few, few things after all that God had said in chapter 38 and 39. Because God said in the beginning of chapter 40 there, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. In other words, he was, he was saying, Job, are you, you, are you reproving me? Are, are you trying to instruct me of what I need to do or not do? Like in answering the questions that you have? And then Job answered in verse 3, and answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice. But I will proceed no further. So Job was starting to say, okay, I, I overstepped. I, I, I should not have, have, have pushed for those answers. And then in verse 6, God comes right back in the whirlwind, and starts again. Verse 7, Gird up thy loins now like a man, and I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. And then God goes into it again, in relation to the revelation of himself. You have the rest of chapter 40. You have chapter 41. And you get to chapter 42, where the conversation comes back again to Job, and he responds to that. Now, in thinking um, of this, in relation to the questions that God was answer, was asking Job, what is interesting is, one principle we, we find here is that God was listening all along. God was not away doing something else. Of course, we know that's not possible anyway, but you understand what I'm saying. God was not ignoring him. God was right there listening to what was being said. That's obvious. But instead of answering Job's questions, God went to that deeper level of Job's faith and his view of God himself. And that was the purpose of this question. Who is he that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Stop and think about what you're saying. Certainly God did not need to ask Job so that God would know the answer. God knew all along. But by God asking asking him this question, he was focusing in on the level of Job's faith and his view of God. What does this question teach us? As Christians we too can can question why our path of life unfolds as it does. Why our dreams, our ideals, our plans at times seem to be sidetracked. Why do we at times face sorrow 
and grief in so many different ways in life. There's the grieving because of death. And that we have experienced that not directly in our congregation here, but those of our brothers and sisters here that have directly been affected by death in their families. The questions of why. The questions of the purpose, the meaning. There is grief and suffering at times that individuals face because of illness. There's the the burden of getting older and our bodies letting us down. There's the pain and the grief when children turn away and walk away from the truth. There's a lot of things we can think about in life where there's pain, there's grief, there's hardship. We know that there is more to life than, than that. We know that there are joys, there are pleasures, there are happy times. We, we, we know that. But that's not, it's not pleasure that causes us, in a sense, some of these struggles, like in Job's case. But what I'm saying this morning is that we too struggle with the question of why we or others suffer. When we say, you know, God is omnipotent or all-powerful, It's a struggle that many people face in their lives, not just as Christians, but I think every one of us at times struggles with the question about the meaning of life. To those who do not know much about God, and that do not have that close relationship with God, these questions can be very troubling. And worse, cause rejection of the biblical concept of a benevolent Father God. And sometimes people make shipwreck of their faith, sad to say, because they misjudge God and and, and they they don't come back to seeing him for who he is, but rather continue in disbelief and lack of faith and finally say, you know, how can I, I trust a God that allows a little child to die or to become sick, terminally sick? You know, and people, you know, blame God and they say, well, if you're all powerful, why don't, why don't you do something about this? Or, you know, we pray for people's salvation and, you know, and yet it seems like year after year goes on. And yes, we believe that God cares about them and, and God wants them saved, but nothing seems to happen. And we can almost begin to doubt God. And ask that question, you know, God, Why? Why? I would like to think for a little bit now some of the practical areas of this. One of the things that we need to think about in relation to this, this text is, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? First of all, what is our view of ourselves? I think this is one of the things that comes out here in the book of Job. In Job's sincere struggle, I believe it was sincere. He was a man of faith. He was a man of God. But he was human and facing the struggles. But you think about the view of ourselves. 
one of the struggles with the question of suffering is that if God allows us to suffer or face difficulty in our lives, we have the right to know what the reasons are. That's sort of where Job was at in his struggles. God, if you're afflicting me, God, if you're allowing all these things to come into my life, then, then I, I have a right to know why. And really God was saying, you trust me. And he never did answer him. C.S. Lewis said, one of his, this is a quote, pain insists upon being attended to. And I think that there's, that's true. Pain insists upon being attended to. When we hurt, we want an answer. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God uses pain in our lives many times because it is so effective in getting our attention. Not to be punitive, but as a means of molding us and helping us to understand what we need about ourselves in relation to God. What is our view of ourselves? Do we feel this morning that we have a right to an answer? That God owes us an answer. God owes us an explanation about what I think is wrong with my life or different from my life or whatever, different from what I thought it should be. Am I in my heart at all blaming God at all? Because he hasn't told me why. Secondly, what is our view of God? And of course, how will a right view of God affect our view of ourselves? These two things are directly connected. And you find it, it's interesting that once Job's attention went off of himself and his own suffering and his own feeling to have the right to have an answer by God, and God, you know, what, what launches into this... Um, in uh, verse verse 3, after our text there in, verse, in chapter 30, verse 2, you know, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? In verse 3, gird up now thy loins like a man, and I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. God said, you were questioning me. Now, you just stand up here tall and straight like a man, and I'm going to start questioning you. And then it's interesting, and that's where this would be very, very interesting reading. But where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. See, if you you are claiming an understanding to the point of saying that God God needs to answer me, if thou hast understanding, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he says, um, who hath laid the measures thereof? If thou knowest, or who has stretched the line upon it? 
Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? You think about the universe. You know, the planets, the stars, the, the earth itself. You know, you know, what's it anchored to? How does it stay there? And, and you, you just think about, it goes on. And just ask all these questions, 77, approximately 77 questions in relation to his creation that showed the greatness of God's infinite knowledge and infinite power in creation and, and what, he, what he did and what, he, what he's doing. There's just multitude of them here. Over in verse 22, Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble? Verse 24, what, By what way is the light parted, which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? And he goes on just to talk about, over and over again, the details of creation. And so we think about this in relation to our view of God. And once Job focused on what God was asking, which portrayed the majesty and the greatness, the transcendency of God, of God as creator, Job became, as it were, smaller and smaller, and God became bigger and bigger. You know, in, in a sense. And so the question is, in relation to our view of God, do we have a right as mere mortals to question God? Now, it probably depends how that is done. What is the mindset with that? We ask God questions sometimes about what his will is, and that's, that is right, that is proper. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you talk about the meaning of life, you talk about the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of God in working in our lives, you've got to be very careful in relation to the question of the Almighty. Only God is all-wise. He knows that we cannot understand his ways, but all he asks is for us to trust him. I do not believe that, that God, in our mortal minds, in our materialistic outlook, I'm not talking materialistic as money now, I'm talking materialistic because we are part of this materialistic world. In our mindset, our humanity, I do not believe that we are capable of understanding God's answers Anyway, because God is doing so much in so many different ways across the world all the time, in so many details of life, for God to explain to this is why I'm allowing this to happen in your life right now, but it relates to a thousand other situations, our minds could not handle it. We could not even understand I, do, I, do, I don't believe his purposes. And so he knows that we cannot understand all his ways. And that's fine. He, he, he's not expecting us to. But all he is asking of us is to trust him. Just have faith in me as, as almighty God. Because I know every detail of my whole creation. Also, right with that, God knows what he's doing and we can trust him. James 5 and verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, 
that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Of course, that's viewing the whole story of the book of Job all the way to the end where God blessed him. And Job received that blessing. And so it relates to seeing that the end of the Lord, seeing the end of the story, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And Job came to understand that as well in the end. And so something, something to remember. God really, in this, uh, this story, in this question, takes Job's gaze off of himself in, the, in these questions so that he could gaze on the greatness and majesty of God himself as creator God. And, and this is a principle in relation to our lives. You know, when we are tempted to darken counsel by words without knowledge and, and misinterpret the workings of God, like William Cowper there wrote in that song, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and we can scan his his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust his Trust his work. I'm sure that last word there. Um, but, but, it, but it speaks of the fact of, of that we can misinterpret the workings of God. And so God is mysterious at times in his working as it appears to man. God took Job's gaze off of himself in these questions and turned his gaze to the almighty God and the created universe. And Job didn't need a further answer than that. He just, you know, you know what? God is so great and so powerful. That answers my questions of faithlessness. This part of the book of Job, I find very awe-inspiring and humbling. It's good for us at times when we struggle with questions of life. Read these chapters of the questions that God has asked Job. The more we gaze at the wonder and greatness of our Creator God, the easier it will be to have that faith in His sovereign direction in our lives. When we face doubts, when we face discouragement, when we face you know these questions that we all face in various ways of why, why God? Think of His greatness. Think of all the details in these chapters that God refers to that he is in control in hundreds of thousands of ways, millions of ways in the world right at this moment. The raindrops, every sparrow that falls to the ground, every hair of your head is numbered, and so on. Those, you know, those kind of details, and not just with us here, but this is across the face of the earth. Billions of people, was it? Almost nine, nine billion people? And then far beyond that is space. Stars, planets, all of those things. 
It just staggers your mind what God is doing in those details every second of every day. Our perception of God is often too small. He is without a peer. He answers to no one. He owes no answers to anyone because of his greatness. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He doesn't expect us to understand. He just expects us to trust and have faith. I think another thing that this passage teaches us, this thought where he says, who is he that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? I think we should be very careful in how, we, how strongly we interpret situations. We could be like Job's friends and have a strong opinion about what seems to be right. And I'm not saying this morning that what God has revealed to us is truth that we don't hold strongly and absolute. That's not what I'm referring to. We stand on the truth of God's word. But let's be careful how we get our own opinions into some of these situations at times. You know, it's far too easy for us at times to say things and give opinions about things where God has been silent. Let's be careful on that. I think that's one of the truths here that God would say to us this morning. You know, make sure that none of you, none of us, would be like those who darken counsel by words without knowledge. We rejoice and we love revealed truth as God has revealed it to us but there are things in life that God is silent about and where God has not spoken we better not open our mouths either I think that's one of the principles here Luke 13 1 to 5 we have that where Jesus talked about well, they came to Jesus and said to him, you know, there were, they were present at that season, some who told, that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. You remember how Jesus said, because he was knowing their thoughts, he said, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. The common thought was that these were bad people, and that's why bad things happened to them. That's exactly where, the, where the Job's friends were. Job, you did something wrong. That's why it's happening to you. Just repent once and just acknowledge you're wrong. Where God has not spoken, where God is silent. As another writer said, man, better, uh, man should never dare to open his mouth. Also, the scripture tells us to remember that God is in heaven 
and we're upon the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So it's just something to, to think about and remember in relation to our lives. Lest we are those who also would darken counsel by words without knowledge. I think another thought here in this scripture, this passage, we see is that the hardships in our lives are not meaningless. I think Job was struggling with that. It can sometimes feel like hardships are meaningless. Whatever, whatever it is that we, we struggle with or face, they are not meaningless. Really what he is saying is that if I'm, you know, if I'm looking after millions of details in all of creation, why would you think I don't care or am indifferent to the details of your life? That's really the message that comes out of, of this passage. C.S. Lewis also said, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us, but we are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. But suffering, difficulty in life is never meaningless for the Christian. Also, we need to remember that we will never find the answers to the meaning of life in this material world. You know, as we think about life and unfolding before us, you know, from the time of adolescence into youth, you know, the ideals, the dreams, the what we look forward to and have a certain expectation about life, we all face those realities. You know, find maybe a life companion. Have a home of your own. And <clears throat> have a decent paying job. Something that I enjoy doing. And on and on the list could go. And all those things can be right in their own place, in the will of God. But even despite all of those things that can be can be a blessing to our lives, if we're following the will of God, we will still not find the true meaning in life in this material world. We have to look beyond it. It finally comes back to this story. And Job, really coming to that realization that only true satisfaction, only true fulfillment is going to be found in the exercise of faith and trust in the Almighty God. God wants our hearts. God wants our faith. God wants our trust. And only then will we find that fulfillment and blessing He is God. We are mortals. And we will never get done exploring, I believe, his greatness. Because it's only a continual seeking to know God through a heart of faith that will provide meaning in whatever situations in life that we face, whether it's hardship, suffering, grief, or pain. 
God is there, and it's not meaningless with God. And so this morning, let's take time to see the transcendent majesty of our God. When, as I said before, when God took Job's attention from himself and his sufferings and focused it on the greatness of God himself and what God is doing every day in the world, that is when Job could find his way. He did not need that answer then personally, of why he was suffering. It's like, yes, I understand. You know, and we find Job's response there. He said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Now I understand. And with that filling of the majesty and the greatness of God, It took away that desire for an answer. Job didn't need that answer anymore. God was enough. And so Job responded to the majesty of God's omniscience and omnipotence in worship, even though, as I said, God never told him the reasons for for his suffering. In closing, just remember, we serve a God also, who suffers with us. We serve a God who suffers with us. The night before his death, as Jesus wrestled with what he knew the next day was going to bring, Jesus said to his friends, Matthew twenty six thirty eight, My soul, this is paraphrased, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Sometimes we say that Jesus died of a broken heart. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. We serve a God who understands pain. We serve a God who understands sorrow. And though at times we, like Job, feel that the heavens are like brass, as he said, there's just no answer God is right there. God is listening. And God is waiting for us to reach out in faith, not in blame, not in questioning, but in faith and trust. And rather to say, Father God, what do you want to teach me in this experience? Please help me to understand the lessons you want me to learn. Please help me to maintain my faith and trust in you, though there's so much I don't understand. Just think about that, what Jesus said. The God of the universe, Christ himself, the creator of all things, saying that he was overwhelmed with sorrow even unto death. There is no depth of agony and helplessness that we can experience in this life that he does not understand. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, let's keep our gaze away from ourselves and look to the great creator of the the universe who is superintending all things, even the smallest details of our lives 
for his glory and for our eternal good. Well, how heaven will reveal the whole fabric woven of our lives, I do not know. But I believe there will be answers on the other side. And again, let's rejoice in God's love and care for us. Let's kneel to pray. Thank you, Father, this morning that you and your knowledge and greatness are so far above us that we cannot comprehend your workings in the world. We see glimpses of your power. We see glimpses of the greatness of your majesty in creation, all of these things that make us that make us wonder and make us um, or be drawn toward you. But Father, we also know that we live in the flesh. We live with the struggles of life. We live with temptation. We live with grief and pain. And Father, we know at times that we try to question. And sometimes, Father, we lack some faith while you allow some things to happen that we don't understand and we have to suffer. But Father, we also know and want to believe this morning that you care about us deeply and are with us in our struggles. Help us, Father, to keep our eyes off of ourselves and keep our eyes upon you that we might be able to maintain that faith and trust that will see us through to eternal victory. We know this morning that there are various battles and struggles in each of our hearts, one way or another, because of one situation or another. And so, Father, we just pray that you would help us to keep our strong faith and trust in you. We might each find that victory and strength to continue on. We think this morning of those who are wavering to turn aside in their faith and commitment to you. We plead for them. We pray this morning for those who are suffering physically and facing the reality of a body that is fading. Be with them in that struggle. We know, Father, we have brothers and sisters, we have parents that are facing the heartache of children that are turning away from, from truth. And we pray for everyone in that pain and, and sorrow. Father, we know that you want us to keep our eyes on the eternal goal. Preserve us to that end, and may the devil not be allowed to destroy our faith. Help us never to blame you unjustly. Our question to you and me, Father, your power be manifested in each situation, in each life. For your eternal purpose, we ask in the name of Christ. <clears throat>